So once again, we are talking something serious and something not so serious, would you say? I mean, it's serious. It's a healthy balance. It's a healthy balance of fun and not fun. This is fun and not fun. When it no. goes wrong. When it's fun and uh, fun and um, terrible. Terrible. So I, this is going to be my favourite. This is going to be my favourite because, yeah. okay, so this is, I'm really obsessed with true crime. Yeah. Okay? Like, you know me. Anybody is obsessed No, with but like, I'm like to the point of, like, I will, like, it's all I watch. Like, all I watch is Netflix series about true crime. I love reading books about it. I love listening to podcasts about it. It's, it's just on the rise right now. It's just now. on the rise because I think that before you used to be like, and the people are probably like, why are you talking about true crime? Just to introduce what I'm doing, I'm going to be talking about deaths and murders in the salons. Yes. Yes. So. So good. So. Come on, it's just the best. It's just the best thing, right? So I it's have. It's not the best thing that it happens to, <laughs> so you know, when we're thinking like, it's not good that people have died in the salon, we have to really correct this. And it's some horrible, horrible No, there's some horrible stories, but. Horrible stories, but some of it is ridiculous. Okay. So we're going to start with like, like really old ones yeah and then we're gonna move to um like less old ones yeah less old i mean new okay so um there are also some sort of nerdy nerdy words um which i am not gonna attempt to say i'm gonna let sky jump in and I'll say do them. that you can do it because she knows this all is the, why i'm here she knows all the, yeah she's only here the for nerd the nerdy words, words. right mm-hmm. so Smarticles. in 1987 hairdressers journal weekly which is um, Hairdresser's Journal. Uh, and a lot of people don't know that Hairdresser's Journal has been around for as long as it has been. I know some people do. But, but it used to be weekly and now it's only monthly. It was so sad. It used to be like every week. Do you remember that? Yeah, no, I know. Of course like, I remember It was like that. five years. It wasn't even that long ago. No, I kept that. All right. And it was weekly forever. So, right, okay, okay. go for it. So Hairdresser's Journal Weekly uh, warned of flashes of fire from common petroleum hair wash. These were the days before soapless shampoos and common cleansing agents were highly flammable, used to clear grease from the scalp. This sometimes consisted of antiseptic liquid or a popular known product called Le Fin de Sicile. We're going to get that wrong. Yeah, it's called Le Fin de... It's S-I-E-C-L-E-L, Sicile. Of course it's French. Yeah, whatever. And you know when it's always like everything at this time, always it's French. Yeah. If it's French, it's good. If it's French, it's fabulous. Yeah. A petroleum-based cleansing fluid used in salons up until the turn of the century. Contact with light, fire, or any electricity could sometimes cause the fluid to react, resulting in a, a few fatalities. Just a few. <laughs> yeah. um, no. Vapor from the fluid could sometimes travel forty, for, sometimes travel forty feet away and ignite. That's why smoking should not be in salons. Um, yes. Our first death noted was Mademoiselle Pascaline, who died from severe burns to the body. Her hair ignited while a hairdresser applied lotion of petrol on the scalp. And she shortly ignited into flames. <laughs> the flames were unable to... This is to... not funny. <laughs> we're laughing at some woman burning to death when we realise that. It's I'm not sorry. Funny. The flames were unable to be extinguished. The hairdresser was badly burnt as well. Oh, poor hairdresser. 
Um, Mademoiselle Pascal attempted to throw herself out the window several stories high. <laughs> but she was held back by her sister and a friend. Oh, she oh. later died of a severe burn. Oh, Mademoiselle Pascal, I'm so but sorry. But surely you would be, like, putting that stuff on you and, like, smelling. Like, yeah, but that's just, I mean, you're using petrol. I mean, you're fighting fire with fire. We're talking 18-something, 18... 1987? No, 18... 1887, sorry. <laughs> I said 1987 earlier. Sorry, 18, correction. Um, Mrs. Samuelson met a similar demise, ooh, I like that word, at an upmarket hairdresser's Monsieur Emile Essie in London. Um, I'm sure that place doesn't exist anymore. Um, Do you know what his name, his real name was? His real no. name was Bob. Was it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but his, no, real, his hairdresser's name like, was Monsieur Emile Yeah, but you Emile know all these would be like, oh, I need to see Monsieur Emile and it it's really it's like, Bob. and his name is Bob. The petrol was spontaneously combusted during the simple action of rubbing the hair. Several accidental deaths were reported from this type of nature. Thirty-six deaths were reported from petroleum hair washes around this time. That's a lot of deaths, guys. That You're is, just washing your hair. Yeah, like don't wash your hair ever. <laughs> <laughs> Stop washing, you'll die. Um, eventually, petroleum spirit was used less in sounds. Well, thank God. Uh, following uh, hairdresser's journal. Declaring it a dangerous substance. This was soon replaced with carbon tetrachloride, which is just even you better. That well. I know, I know, because I practiced. Okay. Uh, I went on Google and wrote it in, and you know, the woman goes, You went on Google. She went, told you. She goes, Tetrachloride. Uh, so any, um, it's widely used in fire extinguishers as a solvent. Yeah. Because um, of the molecular structure of it. See what I mean? She's in there. Unfortunately, this solvent had similar effects to chloroform. <laughs> to chloroform. We just wash your hair with chloroform. You know? Oh, I'm oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Did, did you? Did you, you want to sleep? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that massage was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> when someone is annoying. Uh, <laughs> oh right, I'm just gonna take this off because I keep flicking my iPad thing. Okay. Um, on July twelfth. Okay, this. It's drama. I, I live for this story. Miss Helenora Catherine Horn Epplestone. Very posh name. She was high society. She was high society. We got double barrel. We got double barrel. We got four surnames. Yeah. She's got Moolala. Where's she, she going? She died while inhaling, while inhaling car- carbon tetrachloride during a shampoo in Harrods salon in London. In Harrods. So. Death in Harrods. Death in Harrods. Didn't know that. But here's the funny thing. <laughs> there were some charges brought forward for manslaughter to the salon manager and the assistant. <laughs> <laughs> the poor terrible. assistant. Um, that, was, that was awful. Yeah, so the assistant got... Imagine being like, can you shampoo for me? And then, lawsuit. That was, you know, the assistant never shampooed again. Yeah, and she never washed her head. She shaved her head and never touched her hair for the rest of her life. Um, but you can't find anything that resulted in anything because it was in 1909 and there was no Facebook. Um, <laughs> and everything happens <laughs> on, on Facebook. They're following us. Uh, reports of customers feeling fair or weak after the shampoo services have been reported for over a time of six years. You know where this this is like health and safety and everything like that. Probably what was happening at the time was that you have all these hairdressers and they're like, mm, yeah, like this seems to clean the grease off the scalp. Let's do it. And then people find out and they're like, what, oh, are, you what are you doing to that person's head? This is, this is what this is all about. And hairdressers journal is probably finding all about this going, please don't do this. Hairdressers. Yeah, please, please. I'll tell you something like sidebar. Um, I'll tell you, uh, 
funny story. Yeah. Like while I was training, and this is secondhand information because I'll never forget this story because it makes me laugh all the time. Because <laughs> what world does this happen? So uh, what's like um, in a school that I'm not going to mention which school it was, right? Because let's just not do that. Um, the school of hairdressing. No, I'm joking about this. A school of hairdressing. <laughs> And I was a student, and the month before... Oh, I know what school it is. Yeah. The <laughs> month before, the month before, um, I noticed that this this teacher of ours had an asymmetric haircut. And, you know, if you know the school, an asymmetric haircut is not too crazy. Yeah, yeah, It's normal for yeah. the teachers to have an yeah. asymmetric haircut, because it's one of those places. But it was... If anyone knows you, they know what you're talking about. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> so she had an asymmetric haircut. And um, she was... She's quite a tough teacher. She was... She's sort of like... She took no shit. She took no shit. Okay. And she's yeah. like... You didn't get a lot of emotion out of her face. When I had her, she was... And you were like, I don't know what to do. If you, yeah, if you were crying like, oh my God, at one night, she would be like, get over it. Yeah. You know, she's that, she was that. She's not like, it's okay, sweetie, you'll be fine. No, she wasn't that. No, okay. No, yeah. she wasn't that. So she's the perfect candidate for what happened, right? Mm-hmm. So she left a student to kind of go and trim um, one of the model's beards. And <laughs> so I already know where this is going. And he, so the student was like, oh, how do I do it? And she was like, just do this, da, 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 da. Apparently, this, remember, this is secondhand information. So they, they, they cut, the student cut some of the beard and suddenly the model absolutely freaks out, like completely freaks out and is screaming at the student. And the student's like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And like, and the teacher comes over and is like, what's going on? And the model was like, you cut my beard. And apparently it was like a religious thing that his beard was cut and it was freaking out. And I think knowing this teacher, she was probably like, chill. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he just got really angry, so he just picked up the student's scissors and cut off one of the, the teacher's braids. <laughs> you are fucking joking. No. 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 So that's why she had that asymmetric haircut. That. Wasn't a choice. That is outrageous. Wasn't a choice. Listen, had to cut off that, that braid. Like. Cut off that teacher's hair. But why hair. was he there to get a haircut if he didn't want it cut? I don't know. I don't know. You're I remember his secondhand information, but a, that is you're hilarious, hair school. though. You're at a hair school. I know, but... You're at a cosmetologist. Well, obviously, school. he had issues if he was, like, going to pick up, like, but that is picking up the scissors. The, okay. Have you ever wanted to do that? The ru- no. The rule of I thumb is don't leave your scissors around a psycho. Rule of thumb is don't date a psycho. That would be... Or that, that's don't, the story, though. If someone's a psycho right. and you know they're a psycho... We really shouldn't be saying the word psycho. Let's just, let's just. No, no, no. We don't mean psycho. We mean, we mean, what's the correct word, Gabby? Mentally, mentally unwell. Mentally unwell. We don't mean psycho. We mean, don't leave your scissors around people who have a tendency to stab people. Okay. Well, I thought that was good. I thought that was great. Okay, so what's your story? Um, and the reason why I love this story is because it's everything to do with being entrepreneurial and it affects us as hairdressers pretty much every day. Mm-hmm. This is the, and I'm going to totally do companies by the way, because I think this is so interesting to see how these, hundreds, yeah, these hundred year old companies are 
still you know, going. Still going, how they were made and everything. I'm going to be talking to you about the rise of L'Oreal. <sighs> yes. Old it's, Eugene? Yeah. No, it's great. By the way, I'm going to get dates wrong. I'm going to get stuff wrong. And I, I'm know, not, I know this story very well. I'm not, I'm not even going to be able to do the full story. This is really part one because it is epic. If you are seeing in front of me here, there are pages and pages and pages of this stuff. So um, let's get to. Um, okay, so a lot of people know the man of the moment who created L'Oreal, Eugene Paul Lewis Schuler. That's correct. That's correct. If yeah. you're Wikipediaing this, he is a French chemist that basically birthed L'Oreal. Yeah. So there's lots of different dates, but... You know it wasn't called L'Oreal in the beginning, right? I know. I'm going to get to it. Don't steal my <laughs> thunder. Right? Like, I am getting to it. You have to stum. Okay. Right? Fine. Okay. Sorry. Right. All right. Um, I'm just going to give you a little bit of a background here. Lots of people know who L'Oreal is. We're big fans. We love L'Oreal product and everything like that. Smartphone is life. Smartphone is life. Um, uh, but L'Oreal is much bigger than the professional hair care market. Of course, it has huge brands. And apparently, it's L'Oreal currently markets over 500 brands and thousands of individual products and sectors in the beauty business. It is the largest beauty company in the entire world. Did you know that? Is it really? And yeah. how do you quantify that by money? No, by money and by how many like brands they have. Yeah, they're yeah. like they're the largest. They're, they're, they're dominant. They're in the Fortune five hundred. Yeah, so they are L'Oreal's strategy with everything is either make it or buy it. <laughs> make it, buy it, or squash it. Make it, buy it, or squash it. Exactly. That I mean that's. I left out the third, but yeah. yeah make, I mean, it, buy make, it. make it, buy it, or squash, squash it. it. If you can't buy it, squash it. Yeah. <laughs> We're getting into stuff. There's stuff that we cannot talk no, about. No, but I think no, but seriously, like I think that that's a good point. Like yeah. when you're such a large global company, like those are the ways to to own your own market. I yeah. mean they own the market. They are a boss. They are the boss. Okay. They are the president of the beauty market. So let's kind of start off with uh, 1907. Eugene actually makes his first synthetic hair coloring. A little bit of backstory of Eugene, and I love this because it's such an entrepreneurial start. So his parents actually had a bakery business, and they lost all their money, Mike. And you would like so know an entrepreneur's like go getterness when you see your parents go through strife because mm -hmm. it really changes the way that you are. I know Sean watched his parents like really try and make it. They tried to be entrepreneurial and lost a lot of money doing that. And it changes the way that you think about money and it changes the way that you are. So Eugene was in like living the life and in private school and everything like that. And he was taken from that, put and into state school. Yeah. Well, it's not poverty, but then. No, no, but. Yeah. But then he like, but then afterwards, after the, after the state school, he actually just had to come out of school completely. Mm -hmm. Because he had to support his family. Yeah. He had to support his family. And it's sort of like, um, you know, 19... 1901 so he's you know it's really hard for the family and he has to kind of try and make it but despite all this actually in 1901 he he actually studied uh, for three years and got a chemistry degree 
So even though he was trying to support the family, he actually finished getting a chemistry degree. So it's in all... France. Yeah, in France. And um, one of the things that he really realized was the lack of coloring products in, in the market. So there wasn't a lot of hair coloring products out in the market. And it was kind of like this perfect storm of all this different stuff. So he had entrepreneurial spirit. He saw a, a market, you know, that needed to be looked at and he had the skill set to kind of make it happen and the want and desire to, to kind of get to chop chop. So, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. So he started having a job in a pharmacy, which is also kind of congruent with this whole story. And, you know, in his off time, he would be in the kitchen making up coloring products yeah. Cake, coloring cake, <laughs> and um, apparently there was numerous small explosions. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Bang. Um, boom. It, boom. Yeah, you gotta you gotta do it with some small explosions. So, but eventually, Schuler trademarked two names, Noir et Or and La Arel. La Arel, Arel, something like that. We're gonna get correct. It's, 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 it's Laurel. Aurel. Like L apostrophe A U R E A L E. I can't pronounce it. It is that. So he likes so this is the association with it. So it's the the ore is gold and the Aurel is uh, halo. So it doesn't actually directly mean halo. And if anybody knows L'Oreal brands, <laughs> is there anything else that describes L'Oreal in terms of a like even now? Gold Halo. Yeah. Yeah. And everything's in French. Everything's in French. French is more bougie. And you can't pronounce it. Okay? So more bougie is a French word. I'm sure it is. So um so you realize the, the lack of coloring product, he trademarks these names. Eventually he settles on the name L'Oreal. So the mixture of the two trademarked mm -hmm. together, which I thought was like gold halo. I love the story, it's quite cute. Yeah. So um uh, yeah, the one problem is that he only made three shades. Imagine that, everybody. You got three shades to choose from. And none of them were ashy. Yeah, no, I'll tell you what, none of them were ashy. I'll tell you that much. They were all They were warm. They were red, black, and gold. Gold. And that's Orange. all you had. Orange, yeah. black, and red. You'd be like, um, I think it's too warm. And <laughs> you're like, well, that's not for now. Oh, well. There's three products. But there were three products that weren't there before, there were now. And also he realized that the coloring uh, took too long. He was, he was really sort of into that. And there'll be like pinnacle points of this story that like made everything happen. And without them, they wouldn't have helped. You know, so like I don't think L'Oreal would be kind of what it is today without these key points. And the key point was the way that Eugene grew up and, you know, the perfect storm of having the chemistry and the want and desire to do all this stuff to make the coloring product and for him to be smart enough to see that there wasn't enough coloring products out on the market. So he had the real go-getterness. So he's a huge center part of why L'Oreal, of course, is the way that it is today. So Also, just on the note before you carry on, there is debate about whether Eugene Schuler actually invented the modern day hair color. Did you read anything about that? No, I was just based on the sort of rise of the actual, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, the interesting thing about this, and also the second key point that kind of makes L'Oreal what it is today, was its relationship with hairdressers. And it really understood this before a lot of other brands before its time, yeah? Yeah. So he knew that he needed to make a relationship with 
Yeah, yeah, with yeah. salons. He yeah. needed to make it was it was important. So when he puts these coloring products out on the market, it is they're initially skeptical of the product, you know, because I mean they're hairdressers. We're skeptical of everything. What is this? I don't think it works. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no. <laughs> Let me test it. Let me test it. You don't know what you're talking about, you know? <laughs> so you know I'm a hairdresser, you're not. Yeah. French hairdressers are very strong also about what they think. So I can imagine that it was a mountain to climb. They are. So, um, and so he decided that he was going to make, he's very entrepreneurial as well. He started to make newsletters to the salons. So kind of talking about the product mm-hmm. so that they kind of understood it. So we're talking about, now remember the time frame. we're talking about like 19, 10, round about that time. So he's actually making like print material to actually go into these salons to actually help the hairdressers understand the hair coloring products, which is like no one's... Back then you had like your little people drawing it for you. Well, if we're looking about like the time of like people making relaxers, people were making their own relaxers what, in the 1930s. Yeah, yeah. With like eggs and lye and the whole thing. I so think like 1910, someone's like, hey, you got a delivery, it's a it's a poster. But so not not even that, so I'm getting my dates a little bit mixed up, but Schuler eventually created a school in 1910. Oh, wow. He created a school. The Academy. De- basically, yeah. Laura was teaching hairdressers well before everybody was doing that. They knew that having um, the relationship with hairdressers was a big deal. So demonstrating to hairdressers the product, this was key. Like, you know, you everybody knows that you can have the best product in the world, but if the hairdresser doesn't understand it or know how to sell it or know how to talk about it, it's basically useless in their hands. Yeah. And he totally got that. So we kind of come across to, like... Um, you know, the First World War and Schuler volunteers for military service. So he kind of has to leave the business. And we actually go through Laurel, because Laurel is over 100 years old. You know, Laurel as a business goes through World War One and World War Two. I'm not going to get into totally about that because it is quite controversial and we just don't talk about it. But here he kind of goes away and he volunteers for the military service and he um, leaves the company in hands with his uh, mother-in-law and wife and they sort of keep it going which is hard by the way because a lot of businesses they need that face well I mean if you look at World War One, more people died in World War One than they died in World War Two, and it was this dramatic thing so it's quite hard to keep your business still and alive and also when World War One was around there was less people yeah so therefore it was like more people and more people by comparison yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but relationships to the salon were a central growth of L'Oreal, and Eugene Schiller always knew this, and so he exclusively sold the hair dyes um, to salons. He targeted, he targeted specifically celebrity hairdressers, which I absolutely love this, because the famous, one of the most famous hairdressers that he did um, target was Anton, Antoni, Anthony. 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 Yeah. Oh, my God. I was in... Oh, what's his name? No, when we, we teach the, the team at Skylar London. <laughs> yeah, when we, we teach, teach them the about team. consultation. Yes. Antonio! Antonio. <laughs> is, the, is the hairdresser when they're like... We do, we do, we run drills with the hairdressers, with the colorists, on difficult consultations. <clears throat> and the hairdresser, that they, they, they always... My hairdresser, like, I've used my hair for like 20 years, he's like the best, like... And no one's ever done it right since I've seen him. And he left me five years ago, and his name's Antonio. And he's always uh, named, his, and name's his name's always, always Antonio. Antonio. <laughs> <laughs> and they absolutely, like, it's such a good thing, because we drill them on, you know, the the guest that's feeling unconfident, maybe because of the age of the person or anything like that. 
And we always say that the, the hairdresser that the person was so in love with was Antonio. Antonio. So, you know, it's What's just like one of his hair that he did, does it say? Mm, I didn't get that. He's, not, he's obviously not a modern-day celebrity hairdresser. Well, he was, he was of the time. Because yeah. nowadays, like, he probably did some princess you hair. You know, you know, like you do someone a blow dry now, you're celebrity hairdresser these days, you know? Yeah. Um, he created another product called Emedia in 1929, which was a more faster acting color process. Um, it was initially advertised to women and men, but obviously more women wanted it than men, and he sort of slowly started to recognize this. Um, and then Schuler actually starts to make magazines to the female customers because he knows that he's. He can't just rely on the hairdresser to talk about the product. He has to make material, so he actually makes a Voitre Beauté, something like that, and he makes a magazine talking about the hair products and what they do, the coloring processes and everything like that. Um, he also makes a magazine, which is a professional journal, again, called the L'Oreal Bulletin. That was in 1923. Um, that was also a technical review. I want to read that. I wonder if there's like copies of that in like a central library or something. Um, maybe. It probably in is the around. Library of Congress. Do you know it's probably in the L'Oreal Museum <sighs> somewhere, and they've like you know have it on the wall or something like that. We need to see it. So um, in 1928, uh, Schuler created his first shampoo, and six years later was distributed to mass market. So he's this petroleum based. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no. Oh, let's hope not. No, no. He d- they, um, in actually 1928, they uh, acquire the uh, Mas Savan Toilet Soap Company, was acquired. So they were into... That's when they started. <laughs> in actual fact, there's lots of history with the two companies, but anyway, they acquire this, this company. Um, and if anybody knows hair history of shampooing, you know, they didn't have, like, proper surfactants. Um, so, well, they did, you know, obviously cleaning the hair, but... Um, Movison was um, a soap company. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Schuler at least had the idea that he was going to, you know, start to branch out into all types of um, stuff that people need for their hair. So he had like a really entrepreneurial mind that kind of thought, right, okay, it's going to be coloring products, it's going to be hair. He had much bigger vision. So you could definitely see this because he just, he basically just keeps going mm-hmm. all the time. He's probably one of those friends that is constantly talking. Of like, you know, just of everything that he's gonna do. Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> just you know, I'm pointing at myself <laughs> <laughs> all the time. Um, one of the big things that they do is they have um, they make ombre sole. You know, ombre sole. As in, like the um, the sun cream. The sun cream. Got. 1935. They made that. Ombre sole. Is that a Garnier brand now? I'm saying it's so American. French people are like screaming right now. That's fine. Oh, Um, yeah. Okay, so we're back. So we left off before we were interrupted. (laughs) By the phone. We, uh, the chemists, now because now they've got chemists and they're sort of making an operation that's a little bit bigger, they spend. A long time trying to figure out um, an ingredient that will actually protect uh, the skin from uh, ultraviolet rays, and they come up with ombre soleil, and um, it's sold in salons and perfumeries, and that's a big, massive thing because um, was that like the first SPF? I don't know. I don't know, but um, I know that it was 
it was struggle to to get it to get it going because it you know they're all shooting in the dark it's really it's really hard to make sure that i mean even it's really hard even now like we're, we're hearing people like is that real true sbf or not so in any case it was again you know a very characteristic of being entrepreneurial so um excuse me uh, so eugene was very tactful and uh, he was unbelievably good at succession planning so my my understanding after doing this whole research is that he definitely was the guy that was thinking five steps in front of himself he was always thinking about what's going to happen in the distance he was that driver that was looking at the distance while he was driving he wasn't looking he, was, he wasn't looking five feet in front he was looking at you know a mile in front so he had one daughter lillian who married a french politician andre benincourt so when we hear of the benincourt family that's actually from Andre Benecourt, uh, who married Lillian um, Schuer. Oh. So Eugene began grooming one of his managers, who was uh, Francois uh, Dalle. Dalle? Dalle. Francois. Francois. I mean, come on, that is, that's a French name. Is it a man? That's the most French name. Yeah, Francois Dalle. Oh, again, a whole bunch of French people are going to kill me after this. Okay, so. It's Betancourt as well. <laughs> Just before we continue. Betancourt. So it's Betancourt. Okay. Well, it's not Lillian Betancourt. Oh, do you spell? Do you I'm gonna get it wrong. I know I'm gonna get it wrong, but um, so Francois Dalle um was a son of a prosperous brewer. He was a close friend of Andre Betancourt. 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 Um, and so basically keeping it in with the friends and the family. Yeah. So um, he was actually the acting manager of the Movasan um, Toilet Soap Company um, for a time as well. So he was, he was basically being groomed by Eugene. He was making sure that he was ready to go, you yeah. know, when, when he sort of moves on. So, and this is like the other key thing about L'Oreal. So say like, it's a very family business and it's quite hard for a family business to to kind of go to the next level because yeah. you only have what you have. You have what you have in just your family. So yeah. it's this real trust of trusting an outsider to kind of come in. And Schuler was sort of ready to sort of grow that company. He wasn't worried about it. Um, and he knew that this was the right way to go, um, which is quite hard for a family business to kind of take that step. And yeah. they did. And yeah. that's the second thing that leads L'Oreal into this new thing. Okay. So we've, we've kind of got a succession of different things that make L'Oreal what it is today. It's really important that you think of all these different steps. Because it's not one key thing that sort of makes things work. It's a m multitude of different stuff. Yeah. So itself was Eugene one himself and how he had that mindset and what he was able to do in the perfect storm. And then we have his ability to kind of look past, um, you know, a, a family business and bringing somebody in, and also um, Dahl himself, he was a, he ended up being a very good choice, and this is why. So, um, Francois Dahle, um, he proved to be, you know, really, really good choice because he had extreme attention to detail. So, it's quite hard when you're running a bigger company for you to be able to look at all the different details. I find this quite difficult, and then also have the wider vision. So, he had the wider vision of what L'Oreal should be, but then he also had, like, uh, he understood like little details were actually really hard um, to kind of, you know, make sure that you're not losing it. And he was also able to work with other people's talents, 
a lot of people who worked with him said that he was he was you know a genius and he was really great to work with and he pulled out people's talents so and that's a characteristic I find with a lot of great entrepreneurs is that they check lots of different um, people they realize their talents and they grow them and that's like huge I, I, I see that with like a lot of people I saw that with Anthony Muscolo and those type of you know people who are able to kind of pull out different things um, from different people and kind of really utilize their talents but most of all his real success was um, to open the distribution of all channels because one of the things that Dahl kind of really understood was like the relationship with the hairdressers is a big deal but allowing the customers to choose themselves where they buy um, their specific products and the costs and how much information they wanted, advice, how much they wanted to pay for those products, he knew that it, there needed to be like a wider version of, yeah. of L'Oreal. So, and he kind of manages to do this without pissing off the professional industry, which is the real hat trick here. Yeah. So this is the thing. Um, and he was incredibly intelligent for being able to do this. Um, he also put a lot of money into research, so where a lot of people sort of laxed on stuff, he kept pressing forward. And to be able to have research, you have to have money. So um, he needed to put a lot of money into companies, and um, he ended up selling the Mobison uh, company to uh, Procter & Gamble oh, yeah. and started building some new factories. Um, he still kind of kept the relationship with hairdressers. It was a main attention point for Dahl. It was something that Eugene felt that was of the utmost importance and he knew that that was going to be a big deal. And it is to this day. If you work with L'Oreal, you'll know that they are constantly consulting with hairdressers. A lot of the time, we actually get a whole bunch of products that are, yeah, that are put into the professional industry you know, through L'Oreal. And then sometimes if it actually does really well, they kind of use that to trickle down into consumer and stuff like that. Yeah. So we're, we're, you know, as hairdressers, we're usually the testing field as, as such, you know, which was interesting. Um, so it, this is really interesting. Salon sales, so this is just salon sales, reached 2 billion francs in 1962. That's nice. salon sales alone. In 19 what? 62. 2 billion francs. Yeah. I mean, back then. Yeah. I want to find out what the um what the convert like the inflation conversion would be. Nineteen sixty two. Yeah, nineteen sixty two. So two billion francs. Yeah, salon sales alone. So that's not you know before they're sort of they had a well I understand like a shampoo that was sort of out called DOP or DOP or DOP. DOP. <laughs> yeah, that was out on the consumer market. I don't have it in my notes, but I recall sort of like reading about it and stuff like that because I'm a geek about how these companies came to because I think it's just so important. Yeah. Um, so Dahl had a really big idea that he made sure that that everything was that was really growing. Oh, also, one more thing. Um, this figure, the 1962 figure of the 2 billion francs, mm -hmm. that was shortly after the introduction of L'Oreal Research A, which is in 1964, which is a hair care line that we know now as Carousel. No. Yeah, Carousel was originally called L'Oreal Recherche. Recherche. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, French people are gonna kill me. <laughs> I've got no finesse with it as well. You know, I come from Texas. I'm doing well, guys. You know. Yeah. So, um, in 1964, we have basically the birth of Carousel. It is a. It is a old but a goodie. Oh, that's so nice. 
it is nice. It's nice to have that heritage. So um, Dahl successfully gambled that hairdressers would not see the competition of home color use. That was a big, massive thing, like I was saying before. So he started putting home care coloring um, out on the for sale. And originally they were selling actually those home coloring products in salons and perfumeries, but also just a different sort of like basically they knew that there was going to be like a pharmacy type thing to this. So okay. there's people doing color at home and hairdressers didn't notice. They were like, yeah, but we're the professionals and people come to us for a thing. And yeah, and that was like, that, 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 that went right under their nose, you know, because yeah. as we know now, the home color market is way bigger than actually the professional market. Which is just crazy. So sad. <laughs> we think it's that. But yeah, it so <laughs> it's, um, it's kind of really important to kind of realize that. So he kind of did that little hat trick there. Oh, and I love this story. This is my favorite story. Okay, it's 1960, Elnett. Oh, Elnett is... So you got to think, like, they were putting so much money into research. They were buying research centers. They were getting the best chemists. Like, Dahl was on a roll. Dahl A was on a roll. He was, like, making things happen. And one of the things that happened in 1960 was Elnett. And isn't there just, like, a pinnacle of, like, that time? Just, like, Elnett, the whole hairstyles and the... Bridget Bardot and the whole thing. I love it. And Elnet is a quite interesting thing. The original Elnet formulation was unchanged for a century. What? Was it changed? It wasn't, cha- it wasn't changed. Oh my god, it's literally insane. Elnet is the best hairspray. Yeah. So, I mean, as you know it, like it's pretty much alongside what it's always been. How many parts do you know didn't, didn't like get readjusted? How many times is anything been readjusted, everything's been readjusted. And Elnet actually is based on the French word for she. How French is that? She. She. And you use that hairspray, she. My God. You just know, it's just, the whole story is kind of Okay, so I found out the Franks thing. <laughs> okay. From 1962. So guess, if that was converted to now, the inflation rate, how much that would be worth? Tell me. 19 billion francs. 19 billion francs. 19 billion today. So, like, how much did Facebook lose? <laughs> Stop bringing it up. Yeah. She's bringing us up, guys. Yeah. So, um, in 1963, uh, so we need capital. Yeah. We need the moolah. We need the moolah because we have to, we have to keep going on this like success Because because this is what not a lot of people realize about business is that. It's not about how much something, like how much sales you have and how much money you're worth. It's like you have to have cash flow because you can't buy the product to sell the product without actually having money to buy in the first place. So like a lot of a lot of people don't understand the cash flow problem in businesses a lot. You know, yeah. You ain't got cash. You haven't got movement. Yeah, because everyone's buying your products, great, but you've already paid for those products because you've had to spend money to buy them. You know, to sell them. So. They do an interesting thing where it's not necessarily L'Oreal's public, yeah? Because you can't really buy shares of L'Oreal as I understand it. But they have like, they, they form L'Oreal SA, mm-hmm. yeah? Which takes ownership of some parts of the business, some parts of the business, patents and trademarks, yeah? Yeah. And as far as I understand it, some of the shareholders are, like, some of them are, mm, we don't know who some of them are, as I understand it. So, 
It is, it means anonymous company, anonymous partnership. Yeah? Yeah. So, you know, shareholders are literally anonymous. But if we're looking at on February 11th, 2014, um, L'Oreal sealed a deal with 3.4 billion to buy back 8% of its shares from the Swiss consumer group Nestle. So Nestle actually does a deal with Dolly. Yeah, Nestle used to own pretty much, uh, I think in their prime of owning L'Oreal, I think they owned about 45%. Mm, no. No, is that wrong? 25%. The SA, SA company, yeah, SA. Yeah. So basically, this is how conglomerates like. Where is the money? Where is the money? We the, don't know. the biggest, the biggest thing about this Laurel SA thing is so that basically the family still have control. Yeah, because yeah. like they're still they're still in control of what's going on, which is very rare for a company like this, because it gives Doll the autonomy to do whatever he wants. Yeah. And that's the hard thing about having public companies is that you, you're you sort of sometimes... You're always scrutinized by shareholders. That's yeah. why um, is, Richard is... Branson bought, turned Virgin from a PLC into a limited company again. Oh, right. Because he, he went public. Richard Branson went public with... I read it in the book you got me for Christmas. Um, <laughs> and he... Uh, yeah, so they, they turned it back into a limited company. So that's very smart what they did. So the family remained in control and they were able to grow capital and reinvest again. So it's all about reinvesting, getting ahead of the game, reinvesting, getting ahead of the game. I thought this was really interesting as well. Um, once Dahl actually received the money from doing this sort of trick with the shares, um, he actually started to acquire companies. So he was one of the first ones to sort of go, right, okay, we're not really researching and developing as fast as we can, but we've got some capital. So let's just start to buy out all these small family companies. And this is when they buy Garnier and Lancome. 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 I did that right. So, um, so along with other companies, they, they bought you know, a multitude of stuff. So that's kind of where the strategy is. Make it, buy it. Destroy it. <laughs> well, I think the really interesting thing is that like L'Oreal has their staple brands like the Kerasas and L'Oreal Professional, and um, but then like a lot of the brands that they now own, they bought out, which is great for those because you look at like something like Pureology would never be at such a global space it is now without being bought by another company. Yeah. You know, like Pureology Shimura. is huge, Shimura is huge. Well, not like the makeup's not like Urban Decay is huge. Like all these yeah. brands. That this is basically what capital, happens. Capital makes it so that you can... And also because stuff. it's such a huge market. Like, the, the industry is is basically... It's like being, being a chess piece, you know? Like, if you're not being, if you're not at the back, you're just a pawn base. So I thought this was also really interesting. Um, Unilever actually tried to make a deal with L'Oreal for $84 million. Um, but this kind of fell through. This is when they were sort of selling off these shares and stuff like that. Imagine, like, looking back at it now. Unilever would be like... They, they, they actually turned down the deal. They were the ones that... You know, Yahoo like, turned down buying Google. <laughs> for, Things for, where you should kick yourself. For a million pounds. Yes. So, a, uh, but Nestle took eventually took a small share of the company. It's 25% of this yeah. Laurel essay. So, um, basically, Dahl retires in 1984. Year of my birth, actually. Fabulous. Yeah. And uh, one of the... He knew you were born. He said, I can't compete. (laughs) (laughs) 
And um, the he actually retires, leaving L'Oreal. It's one of the largest beauty companies in the world. It is. So he was a big integral part to kind of how they got to where they are today. And he was, you know, they, you know, if anybody knows how L'Oreal operates kind of now, it's not really exactly with all that autonomy. But he sort of, at that time, kind of created the, the traction and the and the sort of growth. It was the real sort of growing phase to kind of get them to, you know, set them into the business stratosphere kind of sort of thing. Um, in the 1970s, L'Oreal controlled three quarters of the domestic coloring market, over one half of the French hairspray market, of course they of did, course they and one half of the shampoo market. My God. That is absolutely mental. Um, and uh, Lillian Benincourt, Bentoncourt is no longer with us. She passed away last year. So sad. Yeah, so, um, and she was quite a character as well. Everybody that kind of got to know her, she was, Yeah. you know, there's lots and lots of, if you ever look into the the family that have owned L'Oreal, it's, there's lots of stuff to discuss and things like that. So I'm leaving it at 1984 because this is a long story. I'm going to pick up later at 1984. Why are you counting? Yeah. So... Basically, I'm going to leave it there, and then we're going to pick up at another time um, with the rest of it, because I think it's such a fascinating story, and I just want to give it justice there. Okay, wait. Before you before you sign off, guess. <laughs> I'm all about guessing numbers. Guess what, what number L'Oreal is in the 100th largest companies in the world. The 100th is a list. We're counting, so I kind of... 12. No, don't be... Bit further down than that. Um, tell me. Fifty-eight. Fifty-eight. There's hundred and thirty-four point um, two billion dollars of market share. But did you know that Netflix is above it? Yeah, Netflix. Netflix. Really? Netflix, who haven't even been around that long, and Laurel been working hard. That they've been working that gold halo for a long time. Alibaba, number six. I can see that. Amazing. I can see that. I'm all about the facts. Right. Thank you for listening. Cheers, my dears. That's the sign-off. It's been unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> all right, thanks for listening. Bye.